0: I had an incredibly robust office before 08. I saw some of the best agents I've ever seen in a business lose things like their houses and their cars. And you know, and it may not be because they just were bad management of money. They may have got sick. They may have had a situation where their spouse lost their job. I mean, just really bad situations. And I made a decision after that that I won't ever have an agent again that will not have the opportunity to build wealth and take care of themselves.
1: Welcome to The Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Velt, Editorial Director of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts join Tracy to share trends, their secrets to success, and the lessons they learn navigating this ever-changing
2: industry. We may have just gotten back from Gathering of Eagles, but we're not done with events for 2023 yet. This October, we're headed right back to Austin, Texas for Housing Wire Annual, and we want to see you there. We've got a power-packed agenda with content such as our Women of Influence speakers, peak performer playbooks, CEO playbooks, and more to propel your company forward, as well as a bunch of networking events. Because this event is open to real estate executives, mortgage title, and everyone in between, you really have the opportunity to network with people from all across the housing ecosystem. If you want to learn more about the event, or if you're already ready to get registered, head over to housingwire.com on the events tab and you can learn all about it. Not to mention, if you're an HW Plus member, you're going to get 50% off your ticket. So get registered for HW Plus and get registered for the event so we can see you out in Austin. Welcome to the Real Trending podcast, where we speak
1: to the brightest minds in real estate about leadership, business growth, trends, and strategy. I'm your host, Tracy Velt, Senior Director of Data and Content for HW Media. And today I'd like to welcome one of our 2023 Real Trends game changers, Steve DeBruler, CEO of Coldwell Banker Premier in Virginia. His brokerage grew over 76% over the past five years by transaction side percentage based on Real Trends 500 data. So we'll dig into his business model, how he grew the brokerage, and what the future holds for his firm. So Steve, welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, and congratulations on your um, Game Changer Award um, for Real Trends based on your company's growth.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This will be a lot of fun, I hope.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I really want to start because I read that you kind of got into real estate on a dare. Um, it was reminiscent of my my father. He worked for the electric company and his friend said, hey, why don't you take the uh, exam to be a state trooper? And he went ahead and took it and um, he passed. His friend did not. And then he started his career um, as a state trooper. So tell me a little bit about how you got into real estate and what that dare was.
0: Yeah, yeah, crazy story. People like have plans and work the plans, right? And, uh, that's not me, right? Um, I spent a lot of time working for my family. Uh, they had a local dry cleaners. I was, uh, you know, going every morning to deal with dirty laundry, right? And probably not the most extravagant job in the world, but I thought that was going to be my job for my life because I was working in the family business and, uh, there was a realtor that worked to the don- that came to a donut shop every morning there and talked about how difficult real estate was. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, yeah, mister, you're driving a very nice car. I'm going to put my hands in people's dirty underwear. I feel like there's gotta be a difference here. And, uh, so the bet was 20 bucks to, uh, that I couldn't pass the exam because it was super hard. And as they said, I went and took the exam, uh, very fortunate to pass. And as they say, the rest is history and didn't know what I didn't know. So, um, Spent a little time with an independent. Uh, I had my license for probably six or eight months. And I thought, you know, I might as well do something with this. I uh, went to work for a small independent. Uh, like every true new agent starting out, I'm going to conquer the world. I spent eight months and never sold anything. Um, so the rock star that I was, I decided it couldn't possibly be me. It had to be the company. And... Uh, Went to uh, went to a local Coldwell Banker office in the market and asked to be hired. They told me I was a little young, but uh, at the end of the day, they would give me a chance. And, and as they say there, is where it went. So
1: Oh, that's great. And then uh, you obviously did more than just work for that Coldwell Banker office now that you are the uh, CEO. So um, how was that transition?
0: <laughs> that was an interesting transition. So uh, I've only been fired from one job in my life. Uh, which was Cobble Banker, ironically. Uh I worked for that firm. Uh there were uh things in the firm that created some issues. Uh he asked me to leave and I did. Um scared myself to death, didn't know what to do. I, I had a broker's license by that point, which was about three years later, and opened my own firm. Uh that broker had uh, had some family issues and had to sell the firm. Cobble banker came to me and said, Would you like to purchase it? And then I said, Well, I I guess I don't never thought about owning a brokerage before. So, well, why don't we try this? And that's how we got there. So,
1: no, oh, that's great. Um, and so obviously you've, you've grown quite a bit over the last five years. So tell me about that growth. Um, you know, was it, did you do a big, uh, MA transaction? Was that organic? I know you have, you're in multiple states now. So talk to me a little bit about how you grew.
0: Yeah. So it's a combination. Um, about 40% of our growth was actually organic. So we, dedicated ourselves of hiring a recruiter, spent our management team on actually doing some actual recruiting. And in that, we probably 60, 40 new to experience. Um, and then through, we did five acquisitions um, and those acquisitions were what we call blue and blue or cobalt Banker to Coldwell Banker and some were independent. And we've got a lot right a few times. Uh, with zero breakage multiple times and we have screwed up really bad a few times. And, um, you know, along that way, it, you know, we've learned and, and getting better each time we, we have some in the, in the hopper, hopefully for the future here shortly. So we'll, we'll continue to grow in that way. So that, that's kind of how we did it. Uh, again, I'm not the perfect, uh, business model, right? Uh, I don't plan my growth exactly like it works. I plan opportunities and they happen and I just seize them. So hopefully I'm ready at the time. So.
1: I think you are very similar to a lot of brokers out there, and you said one interesting thing. And you said you hired a recruiter. Do you still have the recruiter?
0: I do, actually. And, and ironically, we hired a second recruiter. Okay. Um, and we mentioned Stephen Meadows. I put him on on the team too for M and A. Um, as far as being my COO, and that was their charge. So,
1: so I am interested in that because so many brokers um want to hire a recruiter and really aren't sure how to go about it how to find the right person you know how to how to train that person um it's kind of one of those things where well the broker's always been the recruiter and now they're hiring someone to somewhat replace them can they do it as well so tell me how that process was how you found the right person and trained the right person and and what were some lessons that you learned through that
0: so I was super fortunate um, and maybe just lucky is a better word on that. So I was I had an opportunity to hire a recruiter that already worked for another firm. Um, they are a remote employee for me, um, but we did really well. we would met each other in the past and it ended up being a good match. Uh, the one thing I will say is I don't know that obviously being in the industry helps because hiring independent contractors is much different than hiring other staff people. Correct. Um, but... Uh, I think you can hire that. I think you can get a recruiter in that situation and still be successful with it, as long as they understand your value proposition. Um, and finding them, identifying them, and having them work as a team and not having uh, the management team or the leadership team thinking that that's a replacement for them, that is an addition to them. Um, so we spent a lot of time creating that culture of, uh, this is just another cog in the wheel. This is not a replacement to what you're doing. And, and that has worked really well for us.
1: So be more specific about that. So what do the managers do versus what does the recruiter do and did they hand it off? How does that, how does that work?
0: So uh, I'll start with the managers and back into the recruiter because I think that's kind of the easiest way. The managers don't want deal doctoring. Obviously they're doing their retention, they're doing the training um, and then they're doing uh, recruiting on that. So the recruiting may be as co-brokes uh, or as they're doing opens or things like that in the community, hands-on touching, actually face-to-face with people, Right. Um, and then the recruiter is out doing the soliciting and actually teeing up people to be queued. So they will be handled by the recruiter in the beginning, screened by the recruiter, and then passed to the appropriate manager when it's time. And that transaction for the for the close, for lack of better terms, may be between the recruiter and the manager. It may be between myself and the manager. Um, but we do that as a team and, and we coordinate every Friday on all the people we have in the pipe and what we're doing, regardless of their production level of who we we're hiring. I'm, I'm more interested in the person than I am the, the dollars.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and so, so I know I've talked to one broker who they, they hired a recruiter, had super success with it. Um, then maybe not so much success with it from with the same person, then they decided to bring in someone else. And there was some friction between the two uh, recruiters because, you know, they felt like they were competing with each other for, um you know, for agents. How, how are you solving for that issue? Since you said you hired a second one?
0: Yeah. So, uh, a lot of my bonus systems are all bu- built in pools. So it doesn't matter if one wins, we all win together. Um, it's, it's obviously weighted on the person that is the sourcing person. Um, and also we have a large geographic footprint because we're in the mid Atlantic. So I can have recruiters calling in markets that frankly just do not overlap. Um, so those two things work really well, but the managers get, uh, incentives to make that happen along with the recruiters. So everybody is kind of pulling the horses and the, pulling the car in the same direction with the horses. Right. So it's, it's it's super important to have that, in my opinion, in anything whether you're doing whether that's relocation or leads or anything else is that the whole team wins when somebody wins, so they all understand the goal and they're all looking in the same direction.
1: Yeah, that's so smart. It's really structuring it so in a specific way. Um, you know, like you said, where you pool pool that incentive. Um, and and so when we talk about M and A, you also mentioned that you have had some great. Uh, you know, mergers or acquisitions and not so great. So what were some of the lessons that you learned from maybe the not so great um, acquisitions?
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'll give you the one that's like the home run of aha moments, right? So um, ask the question if anybody else in the company has been offered to be purchased the business prior to buying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So... And I laugh about it because it's all in good fun. Um, But yeah, we had a situation where uh, there was a couple agents in the company where we were doing the acquisition. They had been offered to purchase the company from that owner. And the owner decided that wasn't a good deal for them. Uh, We came into play. We were the good deal. And we looked like the bad guys.
1: And so how did you handle that?
0: Um, It worked fairly well. Um, I'll be honest. There was a situation that was a relationship between a family member was one of the purchasers. Um, and the family member, honestly, are, is not with us. Um, and went to work for another firm doing the acquisition. Um, but I probably couldn't have asked for the, a better endorsement of my company than that. Um, and I say that because the, the lady that left, um, could not have spoke highly about us any better. She, she is an awesome individual. And, and we were super fortunate to have that. That could have went the other way. Um, but her example was, and her story was, is I get an opportunity to break away from my family's business and I get to have my own business. And that's why I did this. Given that situation, I would have stayed where because I felt like Coal Banker had more to offer for us in that, in that example. Um, so great relationship. That person may be back to work for us at some point. Um, but that was an example of a really aha moment that I did not ask the right questions. And um, it cost me a fair amount of production in that, in that deal. So,
1: and what have you learned along the way that helps with breakage? Um, you know, is there a certain system that you put into place that really, um, has helped you retain these agents?
0: Absolutely. So we've had, uh, three acquisitions with zero breakage and we've had two acquisitions with some breakage. Um, uh, zero breakage is almost impossible to be really honest. It's just not realistic, uh, but we've been very fortunate. Um, we are system-oriented to the end degree on this, right? So there are literally checklists upon checklists on everything we do up to the merger and then after the merger. So uh, the one that I was talking about is going to happen for us here shortly. We have been on everything from pre-doing their email addresses, setting up their email signatures. Like literally the agent can come in one day and then the next day, just like you would for a new agent, and they have no hiccup and doing business in what's going on. And then once we have them on the team in the merger and acquisition, then we will actually have three months worth of onboarding. So although we do the initial onboarding, there is literally a couple touches a week of training or questions and having my staff in that space, like physically in that space where they're at so they can talk and get to meet those teams. So that that is the key is embedding them in your culture sooner than later. That is the, the ultimate key.
1: Yeah, in that in person um, you know, kind of touch makes a huge difference too, I would assume. Yeah. Um, and you, you mentioned one aha moment, but let's I'm sure you've had many others. Uh, most brokers have had a series of them throughout the years. Um, what year did you did you um, form your brokerage, first of all?
0: Oh my goodness. So nineteen 19- this is awful. This is, makes me an old man. I think <laughs> 1994 is the day that I formed my brokerage by default because I got fired, yeah. right? So I was like, uh, I didn't plan on opening a brokerage, but uh, I thought, well, heck, you know, yeah. I've got a broker's license. Why don't I just try this thing? So,
1: so you've been through many, many market ups and downs, obviously. So, I have,
2: yes.
1: like, what have you? What have you learned through those? And and what have been your aha moments throughout your career where you maybe changed course or? Um, developed a new product service or changed um, kind of the way you were doing business?
0: Um, my big aha moment was actually in in the 08 saga, right? So I had an incredibly robust office before 08. Um, I saw some of the best agents I've ever seen in a business lose things like their houses and their cars. And, you know, and it may not be because they just were bad management of money. They may have got sick. They may have had a situation where their spouse lost their job. I mean, just really bad situations. Um, and I made a decision after that, that I won't ever have an agent again that will not have the opportunity to build wealth and take care of themselves, And, and I mean that beyond the transaction. And that was, that was my aha moment. And that was my commitment to make a change to them. And that's how our, our culture is built around like health and wealth. A lot of the value proposition we offer goes around those two things. So,
1: so let's go into specifics about that. What are you offering health and wealth wise um, to your agents? Yeah.
0: So uh, they have a full health insurance that is subsidized by the company mm-hmm. for all our agents. Um, like, so they have the same plan that my staff has. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have, you know, dental, uh, vision, life, you know, all the, all the longer characteristics you would get in any, you know, fortune 500 company wealth wise, they've got a 401k um, that is contributable to that. We also have some other deferred compensation plans that are, pretty attractive for the high producers um, that allows them to manage or manipulate tax brackets or be able to do things that may make a situation where um, some people, if they come into retirement, they have limited income, they can make at certain times. It allows them to stage that out. Um, If you have a a spouse that is, you know, doing well for you and you can pay your bills and don't need that extra money. It's funny money for retirement or kids college. It gives them a way to kind of predictively do that and then do real estate investing and stuff like that. So, Truly building wealth so that someone that goes through a, a downturn never gets in that situation again, unless they choose to do so. So even estate planning, we've had estate planners in helping them get their stuff together. This, this sounds so cliche and I sound so horrible about this. And I'm sorry because I really am passionate about this, but <laughs> I I never want someone to work for me that has a situation that they can't take care of theirself and their family. And I am... Incredibly passionate to make sure they can do that. Like I, I just don't want that. If you choose to make bad decisions, that's not what you'll do. That's up to you, but it's not going to be because we're a transaction based scenario and that's all we do. We are going to make sure that you can have a career in this business, not, you know, a side hustle. So, and that i super passionate about that.
1: Yeah. And that's wonderful. And, um, I guess my question to you is obviously real estate margins are, are not, <laughs> not something that you could typically what? afford <laughs> health insurance or 401k or, or some of those benefits. So how are you diversifying, um, your income streams and, and kind of managing your operating costs to be able to offer these things that you're passionate about?
0: Yeah. So we're not the cheapest, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's always somebody that'll do it cheaper for you. I mean, uh, I don't want to say that we are, um, but I feel like by far we're the best value for the money. And I mean, but by far. So you could stay at the super eight or you can stay at the GW Marriott or the Ritz, right? We're, we're probably on the further end of that. Um, so some of the things we do, obviously, is we pretty much if it touches real estate, we probably do it. Um, so you have the commercial, you know, re- relocation, we have you know, lead generation for them, property management, mortgage title, all the normal. Suspects. Um, and we have a a good adoption and people do it. Um, none of those things are totally reliant on the real estate office, um, other than the relocation, obviously, and commercial, but, um, mortgage and title, they're their own entities. They live and die on their own sword. Um, you know, they are just a partner to us that we can use. So they are, they have to win the business. Um, and I feel like that's critical because I don't want a loan officer or a realtor feeling like they're obligated to go in either direction. Um, and it, it's been super successful on that. Like we've been, you know, knock the wood, but that's been a, a great thing for us and it's good money and, and it's good relationships. It makes our consumer experience much better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, honestly, to be in real estate nowadays, you really have to have core services or affiliated services. Um, you know, you mentioned property management and I know at the recent gathering of Eagles, that was a question that so many Brokers, um, because it's it's one that that will guarantee you kind of income in any market, right? Um, Starting one maybe right now isn't going to guarantee that income, but down the road. So tell me about your property management um, department. And you know how many how many doors you have? Where um, you know how how have you fine tuned that process throughout the years?
0: So so to disclose a hundred percent, I'm like every broker out there. I had zero desire to be in property management. Right. Uh we had some clients that came to us and said, basically, look, we're we're giving our management business to somebody else. You're doing a real estate, either start doing management or we're gonna take our other business away from you. So I ended up in the property management business doing that. So we we controlled just under a thousand doors. Um We do do short term and long term, which is a little different for people to understand. I've just got into the short term through one of our acquisitions. That has been an enormous learning curve. You know, sometimes when you've been in the business for a while, you feel like you've kind of like just recycled everything that you've ever done. Uh, Short term is not that at all. I'm, I'm absolutely getting on the learning curve in a big way. Um, but yeah, we have about, uh, I guess it would be 11 people plus two supporting. So say 12 or 13 people total in, in the departments. Um, and it, it is, Super successful for us. We've just been lucky that we have really good people, um, and again, the value offering is really good. So we can get economies of scale because we don't have to rent additional space. We don't have to have staff. We can have staff share loads. So that's been, you know, the benefits on both sides for the property management and the sales side of that. So I and mean, we get some bleed off business both ways, a fair amount actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, are, are all of your property managers, do they handle the sale or do they pass it along to an agent?
0: So none of my property managers are allowed to do sales. Um, they can refer it, certainly. Um, and we also have a policy because we do business with a lot of firms outside of our company um, for property management. So that's a, that was a big thing to us that we could offer this to a third company out there that we would not compete with. So if they refer something into us, we make sure we protect that client and refer it back to them. Um, and we do that with our internal agents too. So, um, but there's just an enormous amount of opportunities that come off of that for us to have business that we, you know, frankly, in a low listing inventory market, having rentals creates a lot of inventory, right? Um, and a lot of calls. So uh, some of those are convertible into sales and some of them aren't, but they will be in the future. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know um from talking to a couple people who actually just run property management companies that one of the big things to solve for is is the um, you know, midnight calls for repairs and and things like that. How are you vetting your vendors and and how are you um ensuring that they're responsive to the needs of of the tenants?
0: Yeah. Um, In the beginning, that was hard. I'll be really honest. Uh, now that we're a little larger, it's much easier because we have power of scale. We can say like, if you want our business, this is what we expect from you. Um, in the beginning, we did have that challenge a little bit, but we do have, uh, I will tell you that don't go cheap in this business, right? In the property management, there's a lot of cheap ways to do it. Um, That is not probably the best way to do it. There are people that are doing this way better than you and use their services and, and do what you should on that. Um, if you have owners or clients that don't like that, then that's probably not the owner or client you need to be starting with because it's probably going to be more headache than pleasure.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I want to kind of switch gears. I know Steven uh, Meadows is very into AI and chat GPT. Are you yes. also, um, are you using it? Are you coming up with products and for, for the agents to use?
0: Yeah. So Stephen is obviously the, the guru in the in the company because he just loves it to death. You're right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do use it some actually. Um, and I think, you know, inevitably it it's, it's one of those that, uh, you know, if you are an agent and do not know how to use it, you will phase yourself out. And if mm-hmm. you're an agent that do know how, does know how to use it, then it's going to be a benefit to you and a tool you're going to use. And I feel like the industry as a whole or any industry at this point, you might as well just call it what it is, mm-hmm. um, is going to have to embrace this and use it. Um, it's as, impactful or more than the internet. It's just going to be at a much, much faster speed. Um, And we use it for everything from designing, you know, headshots for people or, you know, content for properties or listings, all the normal stuff. Um, We just had one, we worked on an Excel spreadsheet where we helped them create formulas and stuff that was a little bit more complicated for us. So... Anything we can use it for, quite frankly, we will. Because I'm a you know silly country boy, so I need somebody smarter than me.
1: <laughs> no, I think the the hardest part for people to grasp is is that it's not just something that can write things for you, um, right. you know. And and but there there are also some real big checks and balances that you have to make um, to make sure that the content is accurate and um, you know. Adheres to fair housing guidelines and, and all of that fun stuff, um, as well. So, so yeah, I think I talked to someone who said there were like, I think f- something crazy, like 5,000 new apps, um, in, in chat GPT. That's not just real estate, but there are a portion of them that are real estate specific. So, yeah, so yeah, it's there's, really interesting. there's like you
0: can go to and land and have four or five hundred, um, you know, uh, a type scenario you can use for almost anything you've thought about and probably a lot of things you've never thought about. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as far as opportunity um, in today's market, where are you seeing, you're still doing m um, and I don't know if they're mostly walkovers or like you said, blue to blue. Um, but you know, where other than MA or maybe in addition to MA, where are you seeing the most opportunity?
0: I mean, Frankly, I think, you know, through this next season till spring, there's going to be an enormous opportunity for for acquisition and for recruiting. Everybody has different business models. One's not right. One's not wrong, right? It's just what it is and where people land. But I do feel like um, what we would consider more the legacy or traditional models may be a little attractive when you start to have properties on the market for longer days and have to actually provide services to the sellers and buyers that you may not had to provide in the past where you had push-button real estate. Um, so some of that, I think, comes into play, and, and there's some financial abilities to that. You know, if, if I'm at a transaction model and I'm paying for that myself, it didn't matter 24 months ago because I pushed the button and somebody gave me a check, right? Uh, now I have to push the button, keep my seller happy for 90 days, maybe do some marketing that I didn't have to do. You know, um, so there's checks to write and things to do. I, I think that uh, there'll be an attraction, typically a run to safety, for lack of better terms. Um, as the market changes. So we, quite frankly, we are gearing up. That's why we hired a second recruiter. Um, We are gearing up to do a very aggressive um, campaign through the, through the winter time here. So.
1: Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I think that um, honestly, if you look at even 08 and the brokerages that kind of made it through, we've done studies on them and they, that's when they grew their biggest market share, is during that time just taking advantage of the opportunities that were out there. Um, whether it was like you said, recruiting or, or M and A. And there are a lot of agents leaving the business now, which could be a really good thing, maybe not for NAR, but for other for, for brokers trying to find, you know, really quality agents. Those are the ones that are gonna be staying in the business, the productive ones who are passionate about it too. So, so absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I
0: think you're right on. Um You know, it's how many, what, you figure more than a third of the agents or probably more than that have Mm -hmm. not been through a downturn. Right. And that would also mean companies, right? So you've got a lot of these startup companies or even these models that have not been through a downturn. So, you know, the rest of us in the world are looking to see what these things do. We don't know. Um, Yeah. You know, mathematically, some of that math seems tough in my Mm -hmm. mind. So.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. A brave new world, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Change is the opportunity, right?
1: Yes so um inspiration and motivation where do you look for that um do either podcasts, books anything you know any people you know leaders that you follow coaches
0: so it's funny uh my father right okay um uh, mm-hmm. it's one of those just tenacious personalities I, I i uh rick davison is someone you probably know um so rick uh, and i have a, a good relationship i i think a lot of him he's been a, a good mentor for me um so yeah just You know, general. I am. I'm a relatively self motivated individual, but I am also a sponge of knowledge. I am assume I know nothing and try to learn everything I can, and then try to sort it out when I get it in my tiny brain. So.
1: (laughs) And for those who don't know Rick Davidson, he is um, the founder of Karen Holdings. So, so yeah. Um, My final question is just, what's next? Um, What does the future hold for your firm?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I mentioned before, I mean, we're going to grow through this. Um, and the idea is that we're going to create enough of a powerhouse to, uh, come out on the other end with some, some substantial market share. I mean, that, that is the ultimate goal. Um, and hopefully be able to increase our offerings, um, both to our customers and our agents. I think, you know, I think the business model is going to change in this industry. I just, it just math does not make sense mathematically the way this model is working for the broker or the agent. Um and especially for the consumer, I mean, there may be some scenarios here in the consumer where they start to demand, you know, if we get tens of thousands of dollars to sell a house, is it worth tens of thousands of dollars for what we do? I don't know. Um, you know that may change. so I think I think this model changes. I don't think it will be slow either. I think what we've seen in the past that's taken years will take months. Um, it should be it should be very interesting. so if you have a crystal ball, I'd love to know. Tell me, Teresa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to end on that because now I'm curious. What, what are you doing to prepare for that potential business model change? How, you know, what, what, can, what can you do?
0: We have a whole other podcast on that one because I'm, <laughs> I'm probably not in the mainstream on this one. Um, so, I mean, you know, we're, we're doing the obvious, right? We're trying to protect our bottom line. We're trying to create value opp- opportunities for our clients and for our agents. Um, you know, one of the really silly things that we're going to do that may seem abstract to the market mm-hmm. is uh, I'm looking at hiring an exper- experience manager and okay. I'm looking for that for my customers and for my agents mm-hmm. and, and more about it, it's the Ritz-Carlton or the J.W. Marriott concept, right? You know, right. Or Walt Disney or pick a, pick an analogy of yes, I had a transaction with them, but my experience was good enough that I will actually use them and seek them out in the future mm-hmm. as opposed to, uh, yes, I would use my agent again, but I forgot who they were, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that repeat business will, will be very beneficial. And I think working towards something like an experience manager to keep that relationship with that client beyond the transactional date and even during that transactional period will, will help with the experience manager. So that, that's, that's an agent and a consumer mm-hmm. thing that I'm looking to do. I feel like will make a big difference
1: for us but you just still didn't really get into the business model of how you pay agents. So how I pay (laughs) agents.
0: So, uh, you know, look, if those who control the, the, the consumers control the pipeline, right. I feel like it's very scattered right now with, without going down this rabbit hole. There's a, there's a long rabbit hole in that one from my point of view, and I'm sorry, but you know, if there's, aggregators out there that we know that are selling leads back and forth and agents are buying that. And I think they're going to have some livelihood in there somewhere because it certainly makes sense. Um, you know, who does it better? And at the end of the day, that's, that will be what the model looks like, right? Um, you know, you can have uh if you think uh, it's on an analogy of bank branches, right? So from a, from a brokerage standpoint, you could have the bank branches where at least have a stop in now and they're not going there to do business like they were. A lot of it's online. Uh, but you still need a branch around the market somewhere because you need to go in occasionally to do stuff. So that might be what that office looks like and that that real estate company looks like. Um, Or you may have a large branch that covers multiple areas now. So you don't need one in you know every corner throughout the town. Um, And I think the real estate model follows some of that because it just makes sense in some of the automation. Um, So that cuts expenses, cuts overheads, certainly is going to cut staff with some of the automation and AI and things like that. But um I don't think you can get into that lane without getting into the customer experience lane, which is what we just do horribly as an industry. Um, you know we're relying on the agents to do this consistently for our clients and some agents are absolute rock stars with it and some agents got their check and forgot about what happened yesterday and And I just feel like that's i feel like that's really bad for the industry to be honest so
1: yeah, well, Steve, thank you for letting me put you on the hot seat and uh <laughs> I really appreciate you joining uh, Real Trending. I always love hearing um, different insights from, from thought leaders in the industry. So thank you for sharing.
0: Thank you, Tracy. Thanks so much for having me. And if I can be of any help, let me know, okay?
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. And we will see you next week with more news and insights.